Well, morning all. It's lovely to be with you again. We will look at 1 Peter 5, verses 1 to 5. Um, we're going to look into that passage in a minute. Um, and we're going to look at what, uh, what is the biblical definition of leadership and healthy churches for the glory of God. Um, because it's so important that we are Christ-like followers, uh, that um, as a body... We're Christ-like followers. As individuals within that body, we are Christ-like followers. And that those that have been asked and called to lead are Christ-like followers. There should not be any disconnect because the vision that God has for his people is that they would fundamentally be his children, his disciples. It's as simple as that. And the difference between whether you lead or whether you are part of the body, there is no extra uh, leniency given towards leadership to suggest, well, they get away with more, or their, their integrity doesn't have to matter so much. No, in fact, the bar goes up. Jesus says, no, it, it, I, for those that I call, I expect a standard upon you that means that you are safe hands to love and care and serve my body. And so it's a matter of health that God would put and entrust leadership into a body like this. And it really, really matters. And so you, you, you'll know from the fact that uh, uh, we're going to Commission Festival, uh, those of us that are going to get to be there, you're going to get to see the part of the wider family that we're part of. This isn't just one church out on its own, just one little dinghy on, in an ocean. We're part of a whole flotilla of boats working together and we're part of this group called Commission which is great when you understand it comes from the Great Commission. Terrible if you think it's a sales initiative. Um, but it's not. It's about the Great Commission that we would see the gospel go, that we would carry it in each and every one of us. And so we're part of a group, a family of churches. And when we say family, we mean that because we've got no contracts between us. There's no legal reasons why we do any of this together. It's because we, we're sharing values, doctrinal convictions, relationships. There's that sense that we feel like family. I know from, that David and Janet have come from Winchester and I feel like I know them already because I know the Winchester Church and I know because uh, I got trained by someone that led them for years and like, there's this sense of like overlap and friendship and familiarity and you sense I know where this is coming from and I know what we're sharing where we and so we're part of something bigger and the Commission family of churches um, has churches in the UK, in Portugal, in Spain, Serbia, South Asia, uh, USA, Ghana, Philippines, Brazil. And it will continue to con grow because we believe that God is inviting us to take steps to take the gospel to the unreached. Uh, and so whether that's the, the re-evangelization of the UK or whether it's the reaching the seven and a half thousand nations and tribes and people groups that don't yet know the gospel, we're convinced it's upon us to see that happen. And so we collectively choose to do that together because we feel and know that we're stronger together. It just makes sense. And so as a church that where I'm coming from, Mosaic, we were in a very similar place to you guys maybe nine years ago. Uh, when I came along, there was about 50 of us and we were in a drama hall. You've heard me say this before, but we're in a drama hall like this. 
And in God's kindness over the last few years, we've grown to nearly 300 or so. And we've planted twice and we're going to be planting another church in North Africa in the next couple of years. And we're going to continue to see churches started. And it's part of who we are. We bring good news because that's who we are, wherever we're at. We follow Jesus because we're disciples. We care for the hurting because he's told us, meet the, the needs of the, those that are most vulnerable uh, within your community. So serve them without, um, without, without any conditions. Just serve them because they have human dignity, value and worth, whether they believe what you believe or not. And so we do things like CAP, which is seeing people set free of debt. We've probably done about half a million pounds worth of debt relief in the last 18 months, and we want to double that in the next year. Uh, we're seeing adoption and fostering because we want to see every single child that doesn't have a home have a home. Uh, we're wanting to work with the isolated elderly, wanting to work with um, um, those that are struggling with uh, mental ill health. We're wanting to meet the needs of the town that we're serving, and we want to start and strengthen churches. And so this is where we find ourselves here in friendship and in partnership, partnering for the gospel in Swindon. And that's why you see me so often, and you'll see other friends coming in and out because it's our joy and delight to come in and strengthen your hand, to serve you, to see you spurred on and to get to know you and love you and to be, feel like part of, part of the story that this is. And so it's a part of our biblical conviction when we read the scriptures that uh, as we partner together to see churches started in that very early phase, there is this moment where we're, we're, hand, we're holding it together with the local leadership, uh, together with, with those that have been asked to oversee and support and strengthen. There's a sense of holding it together until there's a moment of maturity and, and established nature where you go, now there is recognized local eldership in these churches and they, it becomes in its own right an auto, autonomous but interdependent. Like they're free, but we partner together. There's not control. It's not like a dysfunctional uh, father-son relationship where they're never trusted and they're never released. They're always kept on the leash. No, it's a sense of release to be able to be who they are and to, to lead with the authority and the clarity that God's given them to be. And so I say all of that because sometimes that's not always super clear whether you, because not every church background has the same roots and the same means to a church starting and, and maturing and establishing itself and uh, you find yourself here and just wanting to be super clear that we're very very passionate about following the word of God and following the lead of his spirit and we want to lead as he leads us to lead like him uh, I think it's really quite obvious that there is quite a, a a loss of confidence, I would say, in the nation around leadership. Uh, we might look to our government and say, you said one thing, you did another. Uh, and we had to pay the price and you didn't. So that lack of integrity really stings when you couldn't bury a loved one and they were having a party. It feels like outrage. And so your f confidence drops. Uh, or it might be your boss, and <laughs> you just think, I don't have much confidence. 
he's the son of the boss that ran it. He started it and he gave it to his son and he doesn't know what he's doing. He hasn't found this or that. He doesn't know what he's doing, but he has a label that says I'm, his, I'm boss. So I have to do what he says, even though I don't want to. And you just feel like there's no integrity here. There's no authority, but I have to do what they say because if I don't, she'll sack me or he'll sack me or... And unfortunately, it's in the church as well. We'll come across it again and again, that churches can get derailed uh, and become unhealthy. And I think for us as followers of Christ, that's the one that hurts the most. Because our expectations, our hopes, our desires, we're believing for it. We make ourselves vulnerable here because we hope, we dare to hope, don't we? Whereas you go, with my boss, With the government, even less. I, I pray for them. I do pray for them. I do do what they, the Bible says. I pray for them, and I long for the, them to know God's favour and leading. But, but I would say on a sliding scale of where do I put my hope and trust, it gets further away, it gets less and less. But in the, in the church, it feels like family. So when there's disappointment here, it hurts even more. But as a people of hope, continuing to open up our hearts to what God is doing, and trusting that God is leading us, uh, we have to either renew our sense of being vulnerable and safe, uh, um, uh, renew that sense of being uh, able to receive God's lead, or or we just callous up, we just harden up, and we become very disconnected and isolated and cynical. And it's And as people of hope, we don't want to take that last option. We want to remain open, but it opens us up then to being disappointed. And so that's why the scriptures and the passage we're going to look at today, we want to hear what Jesus says to his church, where he's saying this is not not just the definition of eldership, but the quality of what the leaders should look like and why it matters so very much and why he gets very precious about his bride. Because he loves his bride and he cares for it. And he is outraged when church leadership is unhealthy, self-serving, brutal, harsh, inconsistent. It ruins his heart. It breaks his heart. And he longs that that would never be the case. And, and he is concerned to set it on a right footing. And so that's why I'm going to look here. Not because there's any problems but because we want to be clear about this is who we are and this is what we value and this is why we value it. And if there's any lack of integrity, if there's any sense of disconnect, as a family, we're free to put up our hands and go, hey, (laughs) that's not the case. Because that's how the brotherhood and the sisterhood here looks after one another and and, and continues to make sure as disciples, we're continuing to faithfully walk forward. And so there's nothing hidden that we, wa- we want to lay it out super clear right from the very beginning. This is what we've been asked to do. And so I want to read this passage and then we're going to dive on in. Is that okay? Yeah. yeah? Love it. Love it. First Peter 5, 1 to 5 says this, to the elders among you. Now I'm going to pause there. You're going to be disappointed because you're like, oh, he's about to start. No, he's not. I just want to explain that bit, the word elder. Um, Because, again, for a variety of different 
sort of church backgrounds that may or may not mean different things. Um, and so in the Bible, we would understand the definition of an elder as those that have been uh, gifted and called that are essential for the mission to bring direction, doctrinal fidelity, and protection from those that would seek to attack the church and take it off mission. And there is a sense that there is, we know as elders that the, the greatest kingdom potential doesn't lie in the ability to be gathered and inspired in our weekly worship gathering, but in our capacity to equip and to serve and to release so that we're sent out as bringers of good news into our day-to-day lives. And that's largely achieved through right teaching and guarding of doctrine and serving the church to move forward in Christ-likeness. And so that would be the definition of, of eldership about what it is that the elders have been tasked to do within the body of the church to serve it. And so it says this, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you are younger, submit yourself to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, another, because God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. And so we're going to look at what that means in its in its. In, in greater depth and greater quality because I think it's super important that we know what, what the church is that he is wanting us to build and who we are asked to be and who he's asking his leaders to be. See, the best-selling charts are often, like the books, you look through Amazon, you go, it's the secrets of, the seven secrets of, of an effective leader, uh, the habits of, a, of an, an incredible leader. Like there's, there's all these wonderful titles going on. But if you look beyond the packaging, you'll discover something quite deep, that you'll find the confirmation that leadership has been distributed widely as a common grace throughout society. Leadership matters. Leaders, leadership is needed. Um, and more than that, you'll notice... A presupposition that leaders make a difference and more importantly good leadership that should be effective good leaders release potential and enable the creation of things that don't yet exist to come into existence and good leadership is said to inspire organize motivate and mobilize things so that a disparate group of people like us can come together feel unified under a shared vision a shared mission and go for something together leadership matters and as i said but not all leadership is good we've come across negative leadership toxic leadership Confidence might be low, but we believe for something here that stands out, that is beautiful, that is different, that is effective, that models true servant Christ-like leadership to this town for his glory and our good. And so the clear divine preference from the scriptures is for 
Human agency, to be, and it's stated and restated throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New, that God does and always has used chosen, called, and empowered people as instruments of his purpose. This is just as true with leadership within the pages of Scripture. And we see images of shepherds and elders and overseers. We see it in priests. We see it in many different uh, expressions, whether that's apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers and evangelists. There's this different illustrations, but the shepherd theme is the dominant theme for what it is to be a leader amongst God's people. And God conducts this leadership through humans, human agents in an arrangement where the people being led remain his. It's so important we understand that whoever's leading in, the, in our churches, it isn't our church. Amen. So often it gets quite lazily described as, well, it's their church. Well, no, I don't think it really is, is it? It's Jesus' church. And so it remains his church. Amen. He remains the leader. And God chooses to achieve his purposes in the world and in his people through calling and empowering people to act as stewards, exercising a delegated authority. It's not theirs, it's been delegated to them in order that those that are under their care might walk in and become all that the owner intended. We are Christ's and he has a vision over us that he wants to see fulfilled. And he says, there's some delegated authority, steward the life into reality. And these chosen appointed leaders are called to see those that they oversee, not as theirs, but his. And not as we see them, but as he sees them. And so it's really important to understand that leadership and eldership in particular is a stewardship and a key foundation which reframes the desire to lead as a matter of ego hierarchy, who gets to be at the front, who gets to be at the top, who gets to be most important. It moves it away from that to being a willingness to embrace self-sacrifice in order to serve so that we as a a people express God's wisdom to this world. And it's a reminder, and Ezekiel 34 would do this for us, it's a sobering reminder that the harshest and sternish rebukes within the scriptures fall on leaders that forget that those in their care are not their own. It really matters that we remember that as leaders, as, as, as an elder of my church in Mosaic, uh, I remember that they are not my church. I am an under-shepherd for the, for the ultimate shepherd. And that the, the harshest and sternest rebukes uh, for where if I was to become harsh and brutal and controlling, manipulative, self-serving, Jesus saves the most stern rebukes for me. <laughs> and so it's a sobering thing to remember that, to love and serve from humility as an example rather than someone who lords it. We don't need that. It's from this starting point, this first ingredient of gospel-centered leadership, that leadership emerges because we we aren't a people that coax people. uh, uh, We're not bullying people. We're not pushing people into things. We're not convincing them. We're examples. We're, We're influences. 
We're servants. And so in summary, Christ is the head of this church. Uh, We believe the church is the hope for the world. We believe in the priesthood of all believers. Through the Holy Spirit dwelling on us, we have become priests within his mission. And he calls us his temple, his people, the place where God dwells. And so we are all gifted and called as priests within his people. God has called some men to serve the church as elders, to guard and guide the church so that a God-honoring, healthy church exists and stays on mission. And we believe in the gift of leadership being given to men and women. And that there being a distinction there between, I think, some old ways of expressing teaching around this, that all the leadership remains in the eldership, is not true. That the elders there are gifted and called men to, to, to serve as fathers within a body, but not to lock up leadership, but to make sure that the right things are done in the right way, to care for and protect. And in fact, the scriptures speak very clearly of the essential nature of fathers and mothers within a body, because we're a family. And so it matters that it's done well. If if you were to see my family, I would hope that you would see someone who is cheering on his children to become everything, rather than locking it up, rather than imagining, well, I can't let you do that, I've got to do everything. No, it's a matter of making sure that the right things are done in the right way. There was this uh, story of a, of, of, of a um, no, I'm going to get distracted if I go down there. I'm going to get distracted if I go down there. But it's a very important distinction that right from Genesis, God put the creation mandate to subdue and steward this earth into life. He put it on Adam and Eve equally, without distinction, and said, you are commissioned to go fill the earth. Do it together. He never said, well, most of it's on the guy, but a little bit on the girl. No, he's saying it's on both men and women that we go and fill the earth. and so I overstate that in the midst of everything because I feel like there's course corrections going on all around us. And I don't know what you've experienced before. I don't know what you've heard before, whether that helps or not. But just trying to emphasize that leadership is not the same as eldership. And sometimes we get really lazy and we use them together. And it's really important to release that. So healthy church matters, and I'm convinced that the success of Trinity Life Church, and I say success not in a business model kind of way, isn't down to your great strategy, your slick branding, uh, your amazing preaching series, or your worship, or your kids' work. It will not be based on the, the slickest strategies that you can put together, but fundamentally the health of this church the culture of this place, the the people that you are on the way. Because we've all been in churches where they've got a cracking vision statement and they've got a brilliant strategy, but the people in it, you wouldn't want to spend five minutes there because they're just, there's infighting, it's ugly, it's tearing down, it's not building up, it's not caring, it's about status, who looks the most rather than... And it be, you can be in a, somewhere where it's just not healthy. And you realise that the difference isn't whether we've put together a fantastic website. 
but whether we really are healthy disciples that know how to love, serve and prefer one another. The word culture comes from the Latin word cultus, which means to care. We want to create a caring community here. That is, and that, is, that knows how to look after one another. And elders hold a large responsibility for how we nurture and equip by creating the right environment, the right culture. And we need to genuinely embody the, the culture of heaven here as a family to see it celebrated and replicated. Just to give a bit of an illustration what I mean by this. Uh, there was a man called Captain William Swenson who was awarded the uh, Congressional Medal of Honor in America. And uh, I'm not commenting on the, the, the valid nature of this war. It just happened. But on September 8th, 2009, an American and Afghan troops were making their way to meet village leaders. And they came under attack on three sides. And uh, one of the things that Captain Swenson did that meant that he was given this award was to run into the, to, the, to, the, to the war. He wasn't running from it, he was running into gunfire. And he was rescuing people and, and pulling people, the injured and the wounded and the dead, pulling them out at his own risk. And he kept doing this again and again and again. And one moment was caught on a, on a GoPro where Captain Swenson rescued someone with his sergeant who'd been shot. And there's this remarkable moment where on this GoPro you see uh, uh, this Captain Swenson, his sergeant, carrying a wounded soldier back to the helicopter to get airlifted out. And at this moment, he makes sure he's, you imagine he's gone into fire to save someone, to put, he's got in there on the, on the bed of the helicopter and he knows he's going to be safe and he's going to get rescued. And he, and he leans in, this tough military dude, and gives him a kiss on the forehead. And you think, what is happening there? Because that's some deep care going on in that moment. And then he turns around and he runs back into the fire to save more people. And that kind of selfless bravery asks, provokes a deep question of where does that health, where does that, that beauty, where does that care come from? Because that's something deep, something extraordinary that would prefer that person over himself and that would continue to choose to serve that person by virtue of risking himself for that person. Is it because he's more noble? More dis there's something more brave or distinct in them? I'm not sure it is. I think it's the environment that they were raised in, the environment that was around them at the time. And if you were to ask any of these incredible men and women that do these selfless acts of risky service, there would be a common theme. You'd ask them why, and they would say, I do it for them because they do it for me. There's this mutual care, there's this mutual self-servant-hearted self sort of preference. I would do it for them because they do it for me. And the environment we live in creates a deep sense of trust that means that we can go together. And so that's why I'm saying the health of the place matters so much. But the problem with trust is that it's a feeling. <laughs> I can't instruct Phil to trust me. Like, I can't just say, well, don't worry, we'll do it. And you just have to trust me. It's not how it works. 
But where does that feeling of trust, that relationship build from? It builds from an environment that leaders create. And Jesus would say that burden lays initially on the elders because it's their responsibility to set the tone. And when the leader makes the choice to put the safety, the thriving and the care of others beyond their own needs, putting others first and sacrificing their own comfort and security for the good of others under their care, you create a tangibly different space where people feel safe and able to be vulnerable and able to take risks and able to go for something bigger than they ever dared imagine for before. See, leadership is a choice. It isn't a rank. It isn't like, well, we went, it, we all put our foot in the middle. We went, it, dip, and I can't remember the um, right way to say it. Yeah. Um, and we, we randomly choose someone and we stick a label on them and we say, well, <laughs> that's the leader. Um, okay, that, there's, it's, it's not a rank. It's not something you, you earn by virtue of just hanging around long enough. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's something of a choice that we choose to serve and we choose to lead regardless of whether you get acknowledged, regardless of whether you get rank, regardless of whether it comes with a role, it is a choice. And we all know people at the very top of organizations that are nowhere near leaders, that you would not choose to follow them in a million years, but you have to because they've got that badge on. And then in the same organization, there'll be someone that joined three weeks ago that entered right at the very bottom. They're greenhorns. They've, they've not been around five minutes. They don't have legacy. They don't have title. They don't have authority. But you see them serving the people to their left and their right. And you go, there's something different here. I'd follow them more than I'd follow them. And we feel the difference of when leadership is a choice. Simon Sinek would say this, we call them leaders because they go first. We call them leaders because they take the risk before anyone else does. We call them leaders because they make sure that the people they care for are safe and protected and provided for. And I like that definition because it's what we see evidenced again and again and again in the life of Jesus. That Jesus has done this. That this is why we wholeheartedly follow him and cooperate in his mission. We partner with him because Jesus loved us like that. When we're his enemies, he came to rescue us. When we nailed him to the cross and we murdered him, he said, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. He goes above and beyond to love and to bless and to restore us to who he's made us to be. He prefers us. Why does he prefer us? David prayed earlier. If it's based on our behavior and our performance, we don't deserve it. It's the sheer overflowing kindness and grace of a father who knows how to love his children into wholeness. And so he puts up with our rubbish to win us and to make us whole. And not all of us want it. And if we don't want it, he begrudgingly allows that to be. And we can remain unreconciled to him for a lifetime if we want. And we can keep that going into eternity if we desire. But it isn't his heart that he would see anyone unreconciled from him. Because he knows how to love us. And so the God of the scriptures passionately seeks humans to enlist in his mission. And he regularly risks his mission into your hands and mine. I still marvel at that. (laughs) He goes, here's my mission. It really matters. 
let's do it together. And you're like, you do know I'm going to break this, don't you? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I know, but I'm good at restoration. So he knows how to do it. But this is because he's seeking a vision where by human rule is a derivative extension of his own rule. And he keeps patiently working towards this vision. We love him for that. And we love Jesus. Which is the reason why we've been made. To know him and to work with him. To be made in his image and to rule with him and to rule for him. So let's dig deeper into this passage. I've done a lot of preamble. I've done a lot of setup. But I think because of the melee and, the, and, the, and the, the varying experiences and the varying shades of disappointment we've had in leadership and eldership and church, where it, it's so important we just be clear and just try to pull us together in, in the sense that we're, we know what we're talking about when we're talking about this. So let's dig deeper. What makes a healthy church that glorifies Christ? And I'm... I want to look at this. And it starts here. It says, be shepherds of God's flock. In Peter, it says, be shepherds of God's flock. Now, there's a flock. There is a universal flock. Anyone and everyone that has been saved we're all part of that one universal flock, that one universal church. But that also has a local expression. That has a local space and place, which is here. And there is a sense that we aren't made to wander in this world on our own. Just me, my Bible and Jesus. We're not made for that. We become incredibly vulnerable when we are on our own trying to walk it out. I know even in my own family story, becoming so disenchanted through a season of life that they felt like, oh, it's just easier just to go alone. And it didn't last very long because you realise, I'm not made to do this. I'm made to be in a flock. I'm made to be in a family. I'm made to be part of something. And so we need each other by God's design. The church is needed it tells us straight away that believers are not meant to be solitary followers of God and that we realise that flocks are responding to shepherds. This is the design of the church. The second is, be shepherds of God's flock, helps me appreciate that if I'm a leader and elder in this church, or, well, I'm not in this church, in Mosaic, in, Bo- in Basingstoke, I'm only ever hired help. I'm, it's not mine. It's not my flock. It's God's flock. And so I'm only ever hired help. I shepherd the flock that is among you until the chief shepherd appears. I remember that it is his flock. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing for me to remember. It's a good thing for you to remember because it enables us to realise and shepherd with peace and gentleness and confidence. Peace because we can rest in the knowledge that the great shepherd is ultimately responsible for his flock. Gentleness, because we should always treat that which belongs to someone else with incredible care. And confidence, because we know we've been commissioned by Christ himself to lead this church. And so it says, be shepherds of God's flock under your care. 
This is relational, it's not hierarchical. Just because I'm an elder in, ba in Basingstoke doesn't make me an elder here. I, I, the reason I'm here is because I would serve and I've been invited to be here. And so it really matters that as elders get appointed, they don't become elders everywhere in all places. There goes the air tattoo, is that right? So let's look deeper into this passage and we're going to see uh, uh, three things we're told not to do and three things we are told to do as leaders and elders within a church. First it's not because you must but because you're willing. It says that we as elders in the church are to be willing. Willing and free because no one wants someone under compulsion. Whatever the motive behind the compulsion, compulsion is never a beautiful motive. <laughs> it's not a good thing. We do it for the true shepherd. We do it because we get to, not because we have to. And within the passage of uh, Peter, you'll understand that this is a church under, uh, under duress. It's under persecution. It's under pressure. And he's saying, if you're being called and released to be an elder here, it isn't because of fear and compulsion. But that was the environment that was likely to be swirling around, is that they were forced into it. And you know, when you read about the, the churches under oppression internationally, the way to break up a church is to arrest and imprison those that are leading and elding the church. They start there. And that would have been their fear with the Roman Empire having all of their power, financial power, military power, uh, political, economic, social power trained on the church to stamp it out. That's where it would have started. And so there, there could have very well been an anxiety within those that have been called to lead the church that they were doing under compulsion. And Jesus through Peter is saying, no, do it not because you must but because you're willing, because it's an act of worship and service. And the reason why that matters is because the environment that's created by an unhealthy motivation, such as fear or anxiety, rather than eagerness and worship, can be insecurity, instability, fear, that creates a hiding and an lying to avoid negative attention. When someone's motives are wrong, it creates an unhealthy environment around them. And I believe Peter is trying to speak right into the very beginning, the very motive of why. that You do it eagerly from a place of worship for the true shepherd. Secondly, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. There's that servant-heartedness that prefers those that they are serving and we aren't seeking to get dishonest gain because we know we're already going to be rewarded by the true shepherd. We don't have to take extra. Now, why would someone sh lead for dishonest gain and shameful gain? List them, list them. But one of the big ones is greed. That they're seeking more for themselves because they don't have a contentment. It's interesting how greed and dishonesty are mentioned together. Both are wrong, but the desire for honest gain isn't a problem. No one's after attacking honest gain. It's dishonest gain that the scriptures are talking about here. 
It's appropriate that Christian leadership results in honest gain, but shameful gain acquired by greed, dishonesty, through an unhealthy motivation, whether that's for ego, status, or financial reward, as we've seen, money, sex, and power is the ways in which the devil tends to trap dishonest gain, something that isn't yours because you don't have a contentment. Elders should be free from the love of money, content, trusting God, and being more than that, a model of generosity. Men who worship God, not money, and we prove it by consistently giving it away and saying our trust is in him and we know how to be on mission with our wallets as well. Thirdly, we're not lording it over those entrusted to you, but examples to the flock. Elders are to lead through example, humble example. And that's why it hurts so much when leaders lead in a different way, in a way that isn't like Christ. We're to be examples. We're not meant to be domineering. The motivation isn't pride. So I'm going to dominate you into a conformity. I'm going to make you do what I want you to do. I'm going to make you line up and behave and look impressive because it makes me feel better and look better. What a horrible motive. Domineering meaning that sense of being haughty or just a bit better than the rest. Bossy, authoritarian, holier than thou, overbearing, controlling, manipulative. These things are the antithesis of what it is to be a father. What it is to know and love and nurture and to seek and prefer and spur on. Regarding heavy-handed leadership, Jesus said this in Matthew 20, it shall not be so among you. He will not have this. He will not stand for it. And he will expose it when it comes, when it's happening. And we should let the word of God and the example we set do the heavy lifting rather than bulldozing people with arguments or force of personality. That isn't the way that Jesus asks his elders to serve and love and prefer his church. It isn't through bulldozing. It isn't through the force of personality and charisma. No. Humble example. doesn't mean that elders don't have... They're not all gummy. They have teeth. Like, leadership needs teeth, right? Not, not in a mean way. Do you know what I mean? Like, but when, it's not... We're not after milky, limp. Oh, I don't know, wherever you want to go, really. Like, no, it's a sense of, we know where we're going. We know what we're about and we know. But it's about guarding a certain direction and caring and nurturing. There's a sense that you need teeth because we have to defend against the attacks of the enemy and the wolves that will come in to seek and destroy. When God gives elders teeth, it's to defend not to attack. <laughs> Can you get the difference of what I'm saying? Because what I'm not arguing for is a limp, milky, weak vision of a doormat. I don't see that in Christ. Amen. I see in Christ a man of great humility and conviction and leadership and strength. The word meek is strength under control. That's what he's looking for is, yeah, leaders have strength. They have resolve. They have conviction. But it's self-controlled. It's under control and it's under his control. So elders want to be examples, not exceptions. 
See, being an example to the flock means modelling Christian maturity and being an example. It's the only way to influence others. Elders should act the same in public as they do in private. Because we're all sick and tired of that duplicity. And he doesn't want that in his body. He doesn't want it at all. So we're to be able to say, imitate us as we imitate Christ. To set an example, because we're confident the gap between what we say and do is as small as possible. And where it does exist, we own it and we say, help me go together. Because none of us have got it right. None of us are perfect. None of us can consistently, perfectly embody the way of Christ. We're all broken, walking with a limp and doing our best to follow Christ. And so you'll see in us, we'll we'll crack. (laughs) We'll be deflated. We might be frustrated. We might get it wrong. But we don't hold those things up as qualifications we confess those things and seek God's kindness and forgiveness and forgiveness from the body so I believe Peter speaks to the horrible motives for leading a church like fear greed and pride and says no room not here and says these beautiful moment motives for leading a church are willing because you're secure eager because you're content and humble influence as an example that produces joyful worship and joyful worshippers. So let's stand together. Lord Jesus, we just say thank you that this is your church that this is your body and that you were intensely committed to loving us, serving us and leading us so that we look like you and remain on mission with you, Lord Jesus. And Lord, we just say thank you for Trinity Life Church, Lord God, that is emerging out of the ground as a new church started full of hope and mission and conviction that the gospel needs to go And that we are to worship you through our faith-filled following of you, Lord Jesus, as your disciples. Lord, I just pray that you would bless this body. Lord God, Lord, I thank you for how you've led so faithfully so far, Lord Jesus. We thank you for all the gospel fruit that's being born, whether that's to the exploring non-Christian, the inquiring skeptic, whether it's to the, to the old salty sea dogs that we've been around the, the lap so many times we can't count, or whether we've just become a Christian in recent weeks and months. Lord, I want to thank you that this is a home, an environment, Lord God, for us to grow, Lord Jesus. And I just pray, would you continue to lead us, Lord? And would we remain healthy and good at knowing how to love you and each other, fulfilling the great commission and the great command, Lord God? In all that we do, Lord, we want to glorify you. Amen.